Nobody got blown away in a tornado. <laughs> there was a moment or two there, I thought, but <clears throat> if you got your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Deuteronomy. And we were uh, working our way through concluding um, Moses' third sermon or his third speech to the children of Israel. Remember, as we look at Deuteronomy, what's going on? God is speaking through Moses to a new generation. A new generation that he wants to see succeed. He wants to see them overcome the failures of the generation that went before them. So Moses lays out these things before them. The first speech, he kind of rehearses their history. In In the second speech, he gives them the salient passages of the law. And he, and he gives them firm teaching on what the law required. Here in this third one, he's, he's laying out for them now the, the blessings and the cursings. That if you obey, there will be blessing and you'll stay in the land a long time. If you disobey, then these are the, the curses that will follow. These are the things that will come upon you as a result of that. Well... As we take a look in chapter 28, we'll, uh, we'll pick it up in uh, uh, verse 28. It says, Now the Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, and confusion of heart. Just by way of, of kind of backing up over what we talked about last time. And you will grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You will not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. You will betroth, you, you shall betroth the wife, but another will lie with her. You will build a house, but you won't dwell in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will not eat it. Your donkey will be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep will be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. And your sons and your daughters... They'll be given to another people. And your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long. And there shall be no strength in your hand. Because a nation whom you have not known, they will eat the fruit of your land and produce and the produce of your labor. And you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. As... Moses lays out the cursings against the children of Israel. He's going to talk four times longer about the cursings because those cursings all of a sudden move to a prophetic. And he begins to tell them, here's what your future is. He knows already. He knows already. God knows already. The the scripture lays out for us in Psalm 139 that the Lord already knows the things we're going to do, the choices that we're going to make. He loves us anyway. It doesn't remove us or move us outside of his love. But he knows that we choose, or they choose, in this case, the hard road, rather than obedience. And it speaks to you and I about the failure of the law. They had the law. Could the law help them? The law told them the righteous requirement of what God requires. Apart from grace, this is what God requires. But the law did not give them the power to do it. So they fall short. As we spend studying on Sunday nights in the book of Jeremiah and prior to that in the book of Isaiah, the children of Israel went after false gods. They cheated on the Lord in their relationship with Him. And before we're too harsh with them, we do the same thing. What do I mean? You know that still small voice that calls to you in the morning and says, hey, spend a little time with me. Set aside, we got uh, Seek God for the City, which, by the way, is an incredible book if you've been doing it. It's, it's awesome. It's like going step for step with what we're studying on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It's amazing how you know God knew ahead of time. But as we're going through Seek God for the City, spending time praying for the city and, and praying for the needs and praying for the people that the Lord lays on our heart as we go through that book. And, and I hear God call me every morning. He calls me to the little red chair. And in my head, I hear everything else calling. Cup of coffee, 
you know, just about anything else. Go do something, sit down, watch TV, just chill out for a while, just relax. And as I was sitting down doing Seek God for the City this morning, uh, I could just feel God saying, you know, I could feel God calling and I could hear all those other things that call me and all those other things sometimes I go to. And then all of a sudden I realized, you know, that's the same thing the children of Israel were doing. Oh, for them it was some other God or it was an, an illicit sexual relationship with a, a, a high priest or priestess from another, from another uh, um, religious cult, either Baal worship or Asherah worship, it doesn't make any difference. Whether it's that or Oprah. What's the difference? It's no different. It's anything that we put between us and the Lord. And they, the Lord knew they were going to do that. He says, guys, when you go down this road, here's what there is. <clears throat> Folks, God told them beforehand. I a long time got over the, the harshness of the Lord when I became a parent. And I look at my sons and I would say, if you do that, I am going to whoop your butt. And what'd they do? Right to it, man. They didn't even pause. With a grin on their face. Cole was asking me some questions. He's at college today and I guess there's something he saw written on a wall there at college. He had some questions about it. We got to talking about it. And one of the things we got to talking about is I never had to teach my kids to do wrong. Ever. They had that down. They could lie from the womb. Right? What do we have to teach our children? The truth. How to do right. How to do good. How to, how to follow with a whole heart after the Lord. We don't have to teach the other stuff. Well, as we look at this, this is what God's saying to the children of Israel. When you go down that road, this is what's waiting for you. All this section we read in chapter 28, guys, and sometime read the whole thing all the way through. There's a few blessings in the beginning, and then it's going to go to the cursings four times as long. But here, I, I feel personally from verse 20 on, God's speaking prophetically, and these are no longer things that will happen if they disobey. These are things that are going to happen because they're going to disobey. The very things we're, we're talking about. Case in point, we talked about it a little bit last time. So you will be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. Verse 34. Verse 34. You'll be driven mad because of the sight your eyes see. Well, just hold your finger here for a minute and flip with me to Jeremiah chapter 34. As we look at uh, some of the things the prophets had to say as they, as they came a little closer to it. Jeremiah 34 should be verse 4. Thirty-four, four. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you. You shall not die by the sword. You will die in peace, as in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you. So they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced, <clears throat> for I have pronounced the word says the Lord. So keep that in mind, and then turn with me to Ezekiel. We want to look at Ezekiel chapter 12. Now Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they were, they were trucking around together. They're prophets that were at the same period of time. And in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13, he says, I will also spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he will not see it, though he shall die there. And you think, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are talking about the same guy at the same time. Sounds very different. One guy says he's going to live to be an old man, and the other guy saying he's going to go to Babylon, but he's never going to see it. Well, if he goes to Babylon and he lives until he's an old man, why doesn't he see it? Because he's blind. We, look, we read that in 2 Kings. Look at 2 Kings chapter 25. It 
2 Kings chapter 25, verses 6 and 7. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And they pronounced judgment on him. And there they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And then put out the eyes of Zedekiah. Bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. The Lord said in Deuteronomy, So you will be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. All the hurt and pain down a road of rebellion. So Zedekiah would watch his sons slain before him, and that would be the last thing he would ever see. And he would die of old age in Babylon, fulfilling both Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And way back in Deuteronomy, years before any of that, they hadn't even gone into the land yet. God said, you guys are going to choose the wrong road. You're going to choose the wrong road, and down that road lies pain, hurt, destruction. And from verse 20 on, we see God speaking, I believe, prophetically. Every one of these things we see is going to occur. In verse 35 of Deuteronomy 28, And the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils, which cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you have set over you. Whoa, 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 what happened? Is there a king yet? They haven't even gone into the land yet. We haven't even gone through the time of the judges. We haven't reached the point where they said to Samuel, we want a king over us. But what does God tell them? You and the king that you're going to set over you. Who was supposed to be their king? God, who's supposed to be our king? The same. The Lord is supposed to be our king. It's he that should orchestrate our day. It's he to whom we should bow the knee every morning and say, God, this is the day you have made. What do you got for me today? Make me a ready vessel, willing and able to do whatever you you have laid out for me. Help me walk the walk that you want me to walk. He says, you and the king that you will set over you, the Lord will bring you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will serve other gods, wood and stone. Remember their problem. Their number one problem is they constantly were putting other gods before the Lord. They were worshiping other gods. It's our problem too. But we just don't have the same names and we don't have the stupid little idols. Maybe our idol says Harley Davidson on the side. Mine used to. Had a couple of skulls on it. Maybe our idol says Ford or Chevy. Maybe our idol is something else. Maybe our idol is that little square box that sits in our living room that we want to spend a lot of time in front of. Maybe our idol is anything that comes before God. Anything that comes before God. That could be a lot of things in our life, couldn't it? You see, man has the problem no matter what because our heart is ruined. Our heart is ruined. We're born with a bad heart. We need a new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 11, God says, I will put my spirit in them and I'll take out their heart of stone and I'll give them a new heart, a heart of flesh. That's what we need God to do in us, just like he had to do for them. We want to be careful of making those same mistakes in our life, doing those same things. Because you and I, we have an advantage they don't have. What do we have that they didn't have? We got the Holy Spirit, man. We got the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of us. So we have the empowerment. We have the gas in the tank to do what God requires. But just like that lump of clay that we read about in Jeremiah, we have to submit ourselves to God and say, Okay, Lord, make what you want to make of me today. Do what you want to do to me today, through me, in me. we got to submit to what God wants to do. God will not violate our free will. He won't do it. You have choice. 
We're going to see, guys, we look at chapter 30, we're going to see a whole children of Israel with choice. They're going to stand in a valley of decision with choice. God's going to say on the left hand you have all the curses. On the right hand you have all the blessings. I have set before you this day life and death. Choose. They said we choose life. And really that generation wasn't that far off. But the generation that followed and the one after that And the one after that, they chose death over and over and over again. In the valley of decision. God brings us to the valley of decision every day. Every day we have opportunity to hear God's voice calling and go. I don't know what you're talking about, Jackie. I can't hear it. I'll tell you how. Uh, Take out the iPod. Turn off the TV. Stop in the morning. I'm speaking to myself just like I'm speaking to anybody else. Stop in the morning and be quiet. Be still and know he is God. Open up that little devotional that we've been going through for the the 40 days leading up to Easter. And see if God doesn't speak to you through that very next verse that he lays out. See if you don't hear God saying, this is my message for you today. Now go. We just have to be willing. We just have to be willing to make the choice, to make the decision that says, yes, Lord, I will. I will choose you. Well, what happened to the children of Israel? Here's the breakdown, guys. uh, 722, the Assyrians took the northern kingdom into captivity in fulfillment of what we see in verse 36. In the year 606 B.C., Babylon took the southern kingdom. In fulfillment of what we see in verse 36. And then in the years surrounding 70 AD, we see the Romans doing the exact same thing. Until the people are scattered. Verse 37, you will become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among all the nations where the Lord will drive you. Now once 70 AD occurred, Israel ceased to be a nation. Where did they go? Everywhere. And who welcomed them with open arms? Nobody. Nobody. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny? I mean, you think somewhere it'd be okay, right? But here's what the Lord said. You will become an astonishment and a proverb. It was easy to hate the Jews, man. And a byword among all the nations which the Lord will drive you. You will carry out much seed to the field, but gather little in, for the locusts will consume it. Joel chapter 2, the prophet said, If you disobey the Lord because of all these things, I'm going to send the the locusts. And the locusts are going to come flying in. They're going to eat everything. You're going to be left with nothing. But then Joel says, but if you'll return to the Lord, listen, he says, I will give you the years the locusts ate. Anybody feel like they got wasted years in their life? I got about 13. I'd like to have them back. Yeah, we don't get them back. We don't get them back. The Lord says, return to me and I'll give you back. I'll redeem the time. Do you believe that God can redeem? God says, I'll redeem your life. How many of us who were once dead are alive today in Christ? That's right. That's right. The Lord says, I'll redeem the time. I'll give you back the years the locusts ate. I wanted to put that on our wedding rings when we were in Israel. We went to Israel and Kathy and I were were renewing our vows for our 20th anniversary. And we're sitting there in Israel until we're ordering rings. And I I say to the guy, now they're used to, you know, I'm my beloved and and she is mine or however that, you know what I'm talking about, right? You guys with me? Song of Solomon. Mushy, gushy stuff. And I'm standing there and I go, here's what I want on our rings. I'll give you back the years the locusts ate. And the guy looks at me like, what? He said, man, you don't got enough ring to put, I'll give you back the years the locusts ate. He thought I was the craziest guy on the planet. So instead of I'll give you back the years the locusts ate, we got beauty for ashes. Isn't that what God does? 
He takes what at one time was just so much junk, burn up life, ash, and he puts it all back together and makes something beautiful out of it. Here, he's alluding to that. Man, you guys are going to go plant, but the locusts, they're going to eat it all, man. They're going to take it all. You'll plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather in the grapes, for the worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout all your territory. And let me tell you something. In Israel, there is a lot of olive trees. Lots and lots and lots of olive trees. Even more at this time than there are today. Because they, they tore down most of the Mount of Olives to put graves there. Did you know that? You know why? Because Zechariah chapter 14 says that when Jesus returns, he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives. And they believe in tradition that when his foot hits the Mount of Olives, all those people will rise from the dead. So everybody wants to be buried there. They say if you're buried all the way over in the United States, it could take up to 40 years for that initial wave of resurrection power to reach the United States. So they all want to be buried on the Mount of Olives. A crack up. It's a crack up. But he says of the olive trees, you'll have all these olive trees, but shall not anoint yourself with oil for the olives will just drop off. You will beget sons and daughters, but they won't be yours for they'll go into captivity. Locusts will consume all your trees and the produce of the land. The alien who is among you will rise higher and higher above you and you shall come down lower and lower. He will lend to you, but you won't lend to him. Now remember, this kind of coincides with the blessings and the cursings. You, he will lend to you, you won't lend to him. He shall be the head, you will be the tail. Moreover, all these curses will come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. You go to Israel with me and you take the time to talk to somebody on the road. And the first thing they'll say is, how can you people possibly say we're God's chosen people? Have you paid any attention to our history? I say, yep, and I'm paying attention to the future too. That's not the end of the book. God made promises that he won't break. That he will fulfill. Because that's who he is. He's God. He don't make a promise that he breaks. And when he told Abraham, I'm going to take care of your people forever, it was just that. I will take care of your people. I will fulfill this covenant with you. But here as we look at the Palestinian covenant, the covenant for the land, God said, I'm the landlord of the land. I'll move you in. But if you're not going to be a good tenant, you're out. And that's what happened, right? 70 AD till 1948. That's a long time. Long time to be wandering. Long time to just be wandering around. He says in verse 47, this is why. Now listen to this is key. This is why. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. Why? For the abundance of everything. God says, after everything I gave you, you did not serve me with joy and gladness. What was God's only requirement, man? Jesus did it for us in the New Testament. He told us it all whittles down to one commandment. You remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God said, cling to me. Love me. I love you so much, I'm going to give you all this stuff. And all he wants is love in return. You would not serve me with joy and gladness. You wouldn't cling to the Lord. Because you didn't, you'll be booted. You'll be removed from the land. Verse 48, therefore, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in need of everything. He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you do not understand. Three main captivities all had one thing in common. 
the emblem of the eagle. For Assyria, we have a winged cat. For Babylon, you have a winged lion. For Rome, you had the eagle. All three of them had this kind of symbolism within the country that came, conquered them from the north, and ruled over them. The Lord said, did they speak any of their languages? No. They didn't speak Babylonian. They didn't speak Assyrian. So as, they, as we see these things happen, and the Lord's saying, listen, this is what's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. A nation of fierce countenance. That means they're going to strike fear into your heart, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. They don't care about the old or the young. Don't care about either one, man. Poof, they're focused. They're focused. In fact, Rome, it would be said, is going to be compared to iron in the dream of Daniel. Why is it going to be compared to iron? Because of the brutality with which they conquer. They didn't care. Old, young, doesn't matter. They're going to put you underneath them. You're going to serve or die. Doesn't make any difference. Don't care. Not going to honor the old. Not going to worry about the young. They ruled over all. They ruled over all for a thousand years, by the way. How long the United States been calling the shots? Maybe. A couple hundred years. Uh, I don't even think we rate as a player yet. A thousand years for Rome. 800 years for the Assyrians. So, I'm not sure. I'm not too shocked we're, we're not mentioned. We're only great in our own minds. In God's mind, it's like, you guys are just a little pup. You ain't done nothing yet. A thousand years is a day. Rome ruled for a day. We ain't even made it to a quarter of a day yet. Scripture goes on to say, And they will eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They will not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. Verse 52, They shall besiege you at your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout your land. Don't miss that. They will besiege you until the walls in which you trust come down around you. Worst kind of warfare on the planet is siege warfare. We don't really have much of that today. We just drop a big bomb on it and the whole thing goes away. In those days, you didn't have that. So you would come to the city that you were conquering. You would surround that city, cut off all water and food, and wait for the people to starve to death, die of thirst, or surrender. Kind of brutal. That's what the Lord says. What did Jesus say? Jesus, as he's, as he's coming in, he's, he's looking at the, the, the nation of Israel. The disciples are saying, Lord, look at this temple. Look at the amazing temple. And the Lord says, surely not one stone will be left upon another. It's all going to be torn down. Daniel said, the prince of the people who are to come will destroy. They'll encircle you. They'll destroy you. The siege of the Romans that both were, were looking forward to. And that siege came. That's not the only siege, though. The Assyrians and the Babylonians did it before Rome. What does that mean? Guys, look look at what it says from verse 53 to 57. You will eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy will distress you. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of the child whom he eats, because he has nothing left in the siege and the desperate straits in which your enemy will distress him at your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and daughter her placenta 
which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears. For she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy will distress you at the gates. Oh, that's horrible. The horrible part is that it occurred. During the siege of Rome, they were selling a bucket of dove dung for 20 shekels of silver. And people were buying it to eat. Because there was nothing else. The scripture tells us, in fact, in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, flip over there with me, 2 Kings 6, beginning at verse 24. Let's, let's read the story of a, an earlier siege, the siege of the Assyrians. When the Assyrians took the northern kingdom, when they conquered uh, the ten northern tribes who had broke off, it says in Second Kings chapter 6, I better get to the right Second Kings. In First Kings chapter six, don't work. Verse twenty-four. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria, northern kingdom. There was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eight shekels. And one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. So this has all happened before. Then the king of Israel was passing by on the wall. And a woman cried out to him, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or the wine press? Then the king said, What is troubling you? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes as he passed by on the wall. And the people looked. There, beneath, there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And he said, God do so to me and more. If the head of Elisha, the son of Saphat, remains on him today. King of Israel blamed the prophet who told him that this was going to take place. The truth? God said way back in Deuteronomy. You're going to eat your children. Lamentations chapter 4 goes on to tell us even more that same thing. Lamentations 4, 1 through 11. But look at verse 58. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they will cling to you. Also, every sickness, every plague, which is not written in the book of the law, which the Lord shall bring upon you until you are destroyed, you shall be left few in number, whereas at one time you were like the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be, just as the Lord rejoiced over you, to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you, to bring you to nothing, and you will be plucked from off the land that you go to possess. Heck of a, of a speech, right? On the eve of going in and taking the land. They ain't done any of this yet. Yeah. Yeah, you look at that, and the Lord, hear the Lord saying, man, listen, guys, this is what's going to happen when you don't obey. Is that fair warning? I call that fair warning. If I looked at you and I said, listen, the fire's hot. Don't put your hand in the fire. That's fair warning. You put your hand in the fire and burn it. I don't feel bad for you. 
I just say, not very bright. Well, you put your hand in the fire a second time, you put the other hand in the fire, I'm going to think, you're really not very bright. Look at my arms in the winter. How many burns I got on my arms? You'd think I would be able to learn how to put a log in a wood fireplace without burning my arms. Oh, no. I do have the tool that grabs the log and puts it in so that none of my skin's anywhere close. But I don't like to use it. So I get stripes. <laughs> One day, I'll have stripes all the way up and down my arm. My grandkids will say, Grandpa, Grandpa, what happened? And I'll have a way better story. Then I burnt my arm over and over and over again on the fireplace. But that's what's going on with the children of Israel, man. They make mistake, make mistake, make mistake, make mistake. But we do it too. We do the same thing. So we're not running on top of a high mountain. But maybe we're, maybe we're living a life of sexual immorality. Maybe we're doing those things where God has very distinctly told us in his word, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yet we ignore that and we say it's just a little thing, it's just a minor thing, it's just a small thing. We justify it in our mind and we continue running down that road. It's not okay. The chastening of the Lord. You think the chastening of the Lord is only for the nation of Israel? Read Hebrews chapter 12. It's not just for them. God will bring whatever chastening needs to occur in our life so that we'll be right with him. That's what God's priority is. That's what is important to the Lord. He goes on now in verse 64. The Lord will scatter you among all the people from one end of the earth to the other. That's what he said before Joshua ever entered into the land. What occurred? The people were scattered from one end of the earth to the other until 1948. You understand how amazing that is? You want one single prophecy on which to hang your hat, the truth of the Bible, the nation Israel, period. Who God said... Long before it ceased to exist, that it would, that it would be scattered around the world, and that he would bring it back. Here we see him speaking of that scattering. You'll be scattered around, and you will serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known of wood and stone. And among those nations you will find no rest. Tell me if this doesn't sound like the nation of Israel, the Jewish people around the world. Nor shall the sole of your foot find a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart and failing eyes and anguish of soul. Your life will hang in doubt before you. You will fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you will say, oh, if it was only evening. And at evening you will say, oh, if it was only morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. You don't think that's what was going on in the heart of the, of the Jewish people during the Holocaust? You don't think that's the, the, the things that were going on and they could find nowhere safe to put the sole of their feet. No place where they could take a rest. God said that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. This is the choice that you're taking. This is the road that you have chosen. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you will be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female servants, but no one will buy you. That occurred. If they found out that the slaves that were being sold were Jews, they would not buy them. All of these things are exactly what God said would take place. But I can't leave you in chapter 28. Because we'd all feel like, oh, the world is ending. That's how I feel when I watch the news. It's all falling apart, but wait, there's more to the story. Chapter 29, that's the end of Moses' third speech, by the way, right there. Everybody feel like they want to go to battle? Oh, man. Why are we going in the land, man? I don't know. This don't look so good. 
This don't look so good. Well, Moses begins his next speech in chapter 29. The, the, the fourth speech begins. And the fourth speech is all about what God's going to accomplish through his covenant with his people. Don't miss that. It's what God's going to accomplish through the covenant with his people. His people are going to fail and fail and fail again. This is what God's going to accomplish. These are the words of the covenant, which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. The covenant in Horeb is the Sinaitic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. It's a covenant of the law. The covenant here in Moab is a Palestinian covenant, or that's a common name given to it, which is a covenant for the land. Okay? He says, so here we are in Moab. We're talking about this covenant. Now Moses called all of Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. They saw with their own eyes. They saw with their own eyes. And so, having seen with their own eyes, they're eyewitnesses of the majesty of God. People say all the time, if only I could see a real miracle, then I'd believe. Well, these people saw him for 40 years. Didn't help them all that much. We think seeing is believing. But God says, believing is seeing. We think we got to see the amazing thing. But God says, oh, you don't got to see the amazing thing. Listen, listen, listen. Believe. What did Jesus say? Blessed is he who having not seen, believes. He believes. But what, what did we have? Here, here Moses says, you guys are eyewitnesses. Folks, we have the same thing. First John, First John chapter 1. Look, guys, when we look at First John chapter 1, we see what it is that, the, that, the, uh, that John, as he begins... Writing his epistle, he begins with a, a very similar phrase to what we see here. And we see the same thing in Second Peter. You love it when you're turning the pages of your Bible and like 20 turns at once and it passes exactly where you're trying to go. First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's Jesus Christ. John's saying, I'm not telling you what somebody else told me. I'm telling you about who I walked with, who I talked with, who I touched, who I held, who I laid my head down on his shoulder while we ate. I'm telling you about the guy, the real man, the life that was manifested. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us or made real to us through His Son. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Eyewitnesses. Here Moses in chapter 29 saying the same thing. You saw all this stuff. You saw it all. But verse 4 says, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear, even in this very day. Now, they haven't even gone into the land yet. And already Moses is saying, you guys don't really understand. Your hearts have grown dull. Your eyes don't see what they need to see. Why? Because the law doesn't equip you like the Spirit equips you. Jeremiah chapter 31, the Lord says, I will put my spirit in them in those days. And as that spirit of God enters into the life of a believer, now he's equipped to be and to do what God's calling him to do. His eyes are open and now he sees. But prior to that, he doesn't. Paul says the same thing when he talks about the the children of Israel, and in Romans chapter 11, he says, they're blind to this day. They can't see, they don't perceive, they don't understand. 
He says in verse 5, I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness, and your clothes have not worn out on you. That is truly a miracle. I buy Joseph a pair of pants that will not last him a day. He can go out in them britches. That's not the worst part. Actually, he's not so bad on his britches. Shoes. Shoes. That boy paces 200 miles a day. I put brand new shoes on his feet. And before day one is over, the heels are almost gone. He will, he's the only kid of all my kids that will wear the bottom of the shoe out. The other ones, they'd wear out the tops and drag their toes and wear the knees out in their britches and tear their shirts and all that stuff. But he, Joe, man, he'd just wear his shoes clean down to the bone. 24-7. That boy does not stop walking. He says, here, you guys walked for 40 years. Never wore out your clothes. And look what else. And your sandals have not worn out on your feet. He's talking about God's protection. God's protection. Your clothes never wore out. Your shoes never wore out. God was watching out for him. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And we see God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. What do you mean? They didn't eat bread or wine. They didn't have vineyards, and they didn't have grain. What did they have? Every morning, manna. Bread from heaven. Picturing the true bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. Bread from heaven. Every morning they would gather up their bread from heaven. Shows God's sovereignty, his power, watching over his people. He's in control. Then, he says in verse 7, And when you came to this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to do battle, and we conquered them. He's speaking of God's deliverance. You remember Og? He was the giant. The ones that everybody was so freaked out about that they wouldn't even enter the children. of Israel wouldn't even enter into the promised land. Now they see Og. Oh, wow. But God delivered. They whooped them. And, and we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, in light of all this, guys, in light of all God's done to you, here's how we are to walk. Keep the words of this covenant and do them. That you may prosper in all you do. Keep the words of this covenant. The psalmist would say it like this in Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We pour God's word in. And it will clean us from the inside out. Anytime folks come to me all the time. They'll say Jackie I'm struggling in sin. A, B, C, D, or E. doesn't make any difference. How can, I, how can I get victory over these sins in my life? And I tell them the same thing. Get yourself a little New Testament or a little pocket Bible, the Gideon's Bible, whatever. Put it in your pocket. When you feel those thoughts, those desires, the temptation coming upon you, pull that Bible out and read it until the, your mind stops focusing on what you're thinking about and starts focusing on the Word. And when it does... Close the Bible up, put it in your pocket, keep going. If you got to do it a hundred times a day, the Word of God washes us clean. But we, if we don't apply it, sitting on our coffee table or next to our, our bed, it ain't going to do nothing. It's not going to do nothing. We've got to open it up and pour the Word in and allow the Word of God to do the work in us. Keep all the words of this covenant. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders, your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood down to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord. That you may enter into covenant. Man, to be able to enter into a promise with God. That's what he's talking about. You guys are all standing. You're going to enter in. You're going to come into the promises of God. You're going to enter in by, by, by way of what? Faith. You're going to enter into a period where you, where you experience the promises of God. And into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today. Here's God's promise. He will establish you today as a people for himself. 
and that he may be God to you just as he spoke to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be your God and I'm going to establish you. And I make this covenant with this oath. And I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord, our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. He says, your decision to follow or to abide by this covenant doesn't just affect you, it affects all those people who are come after you. All those people in the time of the kings, all those people in the time of the judges, all those people down the line were to abide by the promise that their fathers made in the plains of Moab to God. They were to follow. They were to obey. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by. And you saw their abominations or idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold. So that there, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. And that there may not be among you a root of bitterness or warm or wormwood. God says, listen, you don't want to fall into this trap of worshiping, following other gods, and you got to guard against a root of bitterness or wormwood. Wormwood in the Greek simply is speaking of a plant that is poisonous. Poison plant. You've heard people say before that uh, those who are are bitter or unforgiving, it's like drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. Well, the Lord says, watch out for that root of bitterness and wormwood, that poison, that poison within your life, that poison that's going to rot you from the inside out. So it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, says, well, I will have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. He says, don't let it be said that you're going to sit there hearing all these curses that God's laying out for them and say, you know what, I'm just going to find my own way. I, I, you know, I believe in God, but I just kind of worship in my own way. My own, I have my own path. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end of that is death. We come to God how? Our own way? Whatever way we want to come? How many ways is there to the Father? One way. Through who? Jesus Christ, the Son. One way. Can I find my own way? I'm going to do my own thing. You know, every man did what was right in his own heart. That's the claim of the judges, right? The darkest period of Israel's history. And here the Lord says, listen, watch out for the bitterness and watch out for that poison of life so that you don't start to say you're going to find your own way. Because if you say you're going to find your own way, he gives this, this little clue as though the drunkard would be included with the sober. The drunk and the sober don't act the same. You know that, right? It's not hard to pick the drunk out in a, in a group. I'd have no idea if someone was drunk. Oh, trust me, you'll have an idea. You, have, you probably smell it about 15 feet before they get to you. You have no problem. The Lord says they're not the same. The drunkard and the sober. The sober being those who would follow the Lord and his precepts. The drunkard finds his own way. Find in his own way. God says that's not going to work. <clears throat> now the Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against the man, and every curse that is written in this book will settle on him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will separate him from the tribes of Israel for adversity, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. So that the coming generation of your children will rise up after you. And the foreigner who comes from a far land would say, when they see the plagues of the land and the sickness which the Lord has laid on it, this whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. Five cities of the plain. Four mentioned. Zoar was not destroyed because that's where Lot asked to be able to flee to 
Zoar. Only he didn't go there. He decided to go hide in the caves instead. The four of the five cities of the plain. If you were to stand on top of Mount Nebo and look down where the five cities of the plain used to be, you see nothing growing. Everything is dead. In that land that he's talking about, there are three miles of salt in the crust of the earth. Do you ever try to grow something in three miles of salt? Yeah, maybe. Nothing, nothing around, nothing around, just desolation. He says that's what the nation will be like. <clears throat> and all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? What does the heat of his great anger mean? And the people will say, because they have forsaken the covenant, the Lord of their fathers, which he made with them, which he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against the land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and wrath and in, and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. And then... We have this odd little verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of the law. The secret things belong to God. That means we're not going to get all the answers we're looking for. He's given us what we need. What we need is in the Word. But doesn't try, doesn't claim to answer every question that you're ever going to come up with. The secret things belong to God. The Proverbs lays out for us is the desire of kings to search them out. To try, to seek, to grow, to want to understand. So here the Lord says, in this covenant that you have with me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you out of the land, but... Speech isn't over. We have restoration in chapter 30. But we're not doing that tonight. If it's okay with you guys. We'll wait and get that next time. We'll take a look at it next time. So as we look, here we have the cursings laid out. The choice. This is what life looks like apart from a life surrendered to the Lord. That's what it looks like. A life surrendered to the Lord may look similar and have a lot of the same struggles and heartache in it, but it has this one hope, redemption. I will give them beauty for ashes. I will give them back the years that the locusts ate. I will turn back every wrong ever done. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. We may not experience that in our life here, but when we're face to face with him, it's all done. It's all restored. It's all gone. There's nobody stands before God as the one who has been molested as a child. When they stand before God, all that stuff is washed out. Gone. You got that promise anywhere else? In a life without the Lord? We have so much more in Him than we ever lose by following Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We come before you, Lord. We ask, God, that you would, Father, just help us to receive the word, to apply that word, God, to make a decision, Father, that, that we would recognize, hey, we're capable of making these same errors in our life. And it robs us of the ability to live that abundant life that Jesus Christ promised because we won't ever fully lean into or press into life in the Spirit. We just dabble on the edges. God, make us a people that is willing to take you at your word and to go for it. And to experience everything that you have for us. The fullness of knowing you and walking with you and hearing from you and, and being uh, surrendered to you. God, we pray that you would make us a people of prayer a people that desire to call upon your name, to draw near unto you as you draw near unto us, to be led and directed in prayer, Lord God, that we would desire to sit at your feet. Make us a people that look like you, who walk like you, who talk like you, 
who act like you. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory as we serve you with joy and gladness. Here in the land of the living, looking forward to your return. Be glorified in the lives that we live before you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.